Hi, and welcome to That Fangirl Life, the platform that champions female fans, with me, your host, Laurel. This week, I'm joined by brand strategist and designer, Kelsey Christine, who's also our branding and web designer, to chat all about fans being amazing marketing tools, as well as which artists are getting it right. Listen as we discuss about Harry Styles' Eroda campaign, Kelsey Carter's infamous tattoo, and why labels need to start hiring fans. Hi everybody, we are back with another episode of That Fangirl Life and this week we are talking about fans and how they are probably one of the best marketing tools that artists and bands can utilise and how they utilise them at the moment. Um, I am joined this week by Kelsey. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. Um, Do you want to introduce um, yourself, uh, tell everyone a little bit about you? Yes, of course. So I am Kelsey Christine. Um, I am a creative business owner. Um, My full-time job, I run a brand and website design studio for photographers. Um, But lately I've been doing a lot of fun fangirl related side projects as well. Um, As you know, Laurel, I've been helping out with um, the podcast, new brand and website. And I also have a live stream on the side with a few fangirl friends of mine, where we kind of talk about all things fangirling overlapping with a little bit of business and marketing twists because all four of us are business owners as well. So um, that's kind of what I do on a day to day. I'm also a crazy cat lady. I'm just obsessed with music. Um, and I just decided to jump on the um, pandemic trend of picking up roller skating. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, I feel like that's kind of just really started like kicking off like here mm-hmm. in the UK, the roller skating. Um, yeah. So I definitely won't be doing that. I don't do anything that's not four wheels or staying on my own two feet after falling off a bike. I will start how I start every episode and that is by asking what does the word fangirl (laughs) mean to you? Okay to me being a fangirl means that you just unapologetically love and support someone or something in a way that makes it a significant part of your life Um, and I've got to elaborate on that and say that that's this is why it frustrates me that we catch so much flack for being fangirls because unapologetically loving something and supporting something so much that it becomes a significant part of your life is something that literally anyone can relate to like anyone but when it's like us fangirls for some reason I feel like people think of it as being something different, but it's really not. I mean, people do this with, with sports, you know, same, same thing. Um, but us fangirls, especially of like musicians and things like that, I think, um, we we're still struggling with trying to break that, that stigma. But to me, it just means that you love something or someone so much. It's a big part of your life and, um, you're not sorry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I suppose the first kind of thing that we should really kind of discuss really was kind of like who the first artist or band that you would say would be someone that you were like a proper fangirl of. Um, so it's funny because I feel like I should say Backstreet Boys because I'm still really active in the Backstreet Boys fandom. But when I think back, I actually think it would be the Spice Girls. Um, that's who I have the most memories of being a fangirl of. I remember just just wanting to be them, like yeah. trying to dress like them and act like them, um, wear platform shoes and put my hair in pigtails and always doing peace signs. Um, 
and buying, well, not buying, but of course, asking my parents to buy everything that, that they released. I had all those little collector photo cards. And um, I remember bawling my eyes out when uh, Ginger Spice left the group because yeah. she was my favorite and I was devastated. I had her picture on the top of my pile of collector's cards. And as I cried, I moved her to the bottom because I was a little upset with her that day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I would definitely say Spice Girls, that that was the, my intro to being a fangirl. Uh, it must have been it was definitely like in what we call like primary school here so probably mm-hmm. was about like eight or nine maybe one of those birthdays or maybe maybe I was te- I think I might have been 10 and I had a Spice Girls themed sleepover yeah my mum at the time they were doing a concert and it was when you used to be able to buy the concerts on like Sky and watch them like live and they would like, yeah. sh- like stream obviously like nowadays things are completely different but you used to have to like rent them as such and I had like all me and four of my my best friends from primary school we all dressed up as a different Spice Girl I can't even remember who I was now but as what like I had so much like now that you've said about I think it's somewhere in my room but I've still got um for Christmas one year I got the Spice Girls Polaroid camera yes oh my gosh I had that too I forgot yeah, about that it, I've got it somewhere in my, now that oh. you said that I'm like maybe it was the Spice Girls but I just didn't think of it as the, at the time that I was yeah I think because obviously being a fangirl as well with with like tangent and stuff already but yeah as well you generally think a fangirl only is a fan of boy bands mm-hmm. and like male artists but you kind of forget and obviously we're gonna we've touched on it with Taylor Swift in last week's episode and we're going to be touching on it again with like um, in a few episodes time with like Little Mix. But you don't generally think of being that girls have girl bands, have that big right. fan girl right. as such. But yeah, this, this, it's, def- it's definitely just because of the stereotype that exists where it's like fangirls are young teenage girls just like being crazy and obsessive over groups of um, and those girls qualify as fangirls as well, but it's not, it's not where it starts and ends. Like there's so much more to fangirls than that. Yeah. Um, how would you say that being a fangirl now has progressed into adulthood? Well, I'm definitely, I feel like I'm growing into my full fangirl form now as an adult. Like obviously when I was younger, I didn't really know this was a thing. I never would have called myself that. I think just within like the last few years, I've kind of started to embrace it. And I think it's thanks to things like your podcast and other communities that are out there where we're actually talking about it in a different light now and realizing that fangirls are actually like really powerful and really smart and really supportive. And there's just like, there's so much more to it than I ever would have thought. And so I've, I've started to really identify myself as one and, and realize that it's so much more than I ever thought. So I would say, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's progressed so much in my adult life that it's now a big part of even just like the work that I do. Um, and all of my fun side projects, like some of the stuff I mentioned at the beginning. Um, and that's, that's just the the beginning of it. I have even more things that I'm working on on the side and they're all related to this because, um, I've just been so inspired by seeing other fangirls out there, like doing cool things. So it's definitely transformed as I've grown up and it's become, you know, more of like almost a professional thing in a way. Um, and I'm seeing, I'm just really inspired by seeing other fangirls, like, make career paths out of it. So 
Um, so yeah, it's still with me and it is like being fully embraced now. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's, you get to a point when all of a sudden you're like, why, why have I been like keeping this? Yeah. Like on, on the low down. And I think it may be obviously because over the last year of being like stuck indoors and you have more time to reflect on what actually you like doing, what you want to do after mm-hmm. like life returns to this. I don't think it will ever be normal as we previously knew it, but when it gets back to normal-ish, what you actually want to put your time and effort into now, just realizing like, yeah, I can own this. Like everyone that I've spoken to have said like they've realized within the last year and a half that they've just been like, yeah, I'm going to, kind of own this now and it's becoming more of a thing like I'm noticing it crop up more like Me even too, yeah with people that I follow on like Instagram that aren't like well they probably were fans but they just didn't say as much mm-hmm. now they're like being more open about it which is it's nice to see because now I'm not seen as like the weird the weird girl on Instagram that constantly talks about Harry Styles probably yeah. still am to some people that weird girl that still talks <laughs> yeah, about same. Harry <laughs> but yeah um I was gonna say like for me it's been a part of my like own self-discovery journey and which has definitely been sparked within the last year and a half or so and it's just starting to realize that like, okay, yeah, people will probably not understand or think it's silly or not be able to accept it or support it. But if that's the case, then I don't need those people. Right. And then like the people who accept me for me will love that part of me. And even if they don't understand it, they'll support it. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a big part of like me just trying to figure out more of who I am and stuff um, and kind of realizing like, wait, this fangirl stuff makes me really happy. So why would I not want to embrace it more? You know? Yeah. What made you decide you wanted to get into marketing as like a career as such? Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like my career path has been ever changing. Um, I know that I always, I've always been a creative person. So I knew I wanted to do something with that. And um, I ended up going to college for marketing and thinking that I wanted to be in, in advertising. That was the initial goal. Um, But over time, I just, you know, after like testing things out, having different internships and jobs, um, I kind of moved away from the advertising world and moved more into the design side of things. Um, But everything under this umbrella kind of goes hand in hand. So, um, yeah, I would say for me, it it started with just knowing that I wanted to do something creative. And then um, over time, my career path has kind of, I, I've just learned what I like and what I don't like. I learned that I didn't like working for huge corporations. I learned that I wanted to work with people who are really passionate about what they're doing. And that's how I ended up. And now my my niche is working with photographers who own their own businesses. So um, so yeah, I think for me, it's down to the creativity, but then also mixed with kind of like the overlap of psychology and sociology that marketing has. Like it's a big part of it. You know, it's kind of this overlap of how are we going to take these things we know about the way that people think and act and how are we going to like put a creative spin on it in achieving whatever goal we're trying to achieve at the moment. So now that we know about you as a person, yes. we're going to get into the fun part well, all of it's fun, but like the fun, the gritty of why we are talking about this today. And we're going to talk about why do you think fans are so important in regards to um, artists and their marketing? Why do you think that they are probably one of the most important tools that they could use? Yeah, of course. I would say that 
to, to make it as simple as possible, celebrities wouldn't be celebrities without fans, right? They would just yeah. be artists. And so as a celebrity, if you want to keep that success, um, you need to keep your fans happy, right? So um, good marketing strategy really builds on emotion and connection. So when fans feel more directly connected with their idols, when they feel like they're having that emotional connection, they're going to be more likely to support them, continue buying from them, continue, um, you know, promoting them and things like that. So I would say that, I mean, that's just like the simplest way to put it. It's like you need fans to continue to be a celebrity. And if you want to keep that success up, you have to engage your fans so that they feel that connection. So I would say that like, especially now, this is always true, but especially during a pandemic, fans are feeling even less connected because we don't get to go to live shows and things like that. So it's even more important now to make sure that we are feeling connected in different ways. So like any way that, that an artist and not necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying like the artist has to individually be engaging with their, um, with their fans, but even just like their marketing teams, just any of the efforts that are being put out there. Um, if you can, kind of involve your fans or make it feel interactive in a way like that's going to be key because that way you're making them feel that emotional connection I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And so like any way that you can make it interactive um, in your marketing outreach, it's going to be more successful because you're leveraging the power of those fans. Like, I mean, you know how powerful fandoms can be. And so if you can fire them up, making them feel like they're a part of it, then like fans will essentially do the work for you so yeah it's interesting because obviously like when I've spoke to Emma and Shah um Mm -hmm. in last seasons they've said obviously like Harry Styles now is very disconnected from like Mm -hmm. they feel disconnected because he doesn't tweet as much as he did when he was on One Direction and stuff Mm -hmm. and I've heard I've heard like lots of people say like they don't know if they know him like as as a person anymore I feel like maybe something's missing a mark there in regards to I don't know because he is so big and he doesn't need it but it's that yeah well I mean again it's it's all about the connection so I would say like he's you know he's obviously still gonna be successful but I think I don't know for me I think that there's also a difference between um just kind of like there's the human and then the brand too. And of course it's ideal to kind of have those be as aligned as possible. But for me personally, I, I respect that. I respect the human side of him needing to be reserved for his own mental health and not wanting to be like super active on social media. But I also think that his marketing team at Columbia does such a good job um, of kind of working his, personality into things. So like, even I have no idea how involved he is with, with marketing decisions. You know what I mean? Like when it comes to the whole, like, like the website, like the, you know, who you are website that keeps changing with every release. Like, I don't know if he had any say in that, but it seems like something that he would, right? Like a lot of the things or like just I don't know, all of the campaigns, all of the little details, like the little golden postcards and things like that. It feels like him, which again, like you were saying, we don't even really know if we know him, but yeah, to me, that's good marketing and good branding because to me, it feels like Harry did 
touch this. Like he does have something to do with this. He did probably approve this. This does feel like something that he would do because it's so kind and special and makes us feel connected to him. Right. So, um, I would say even if it's, you know, yes, as Harry's, we'd feel a little less connected to our idol, but I think from a marketing perspective, his team has done a really good job at, at bringing him into Thing, making it seem like at least like he is a part of it. Like everything that p- gets put out there feels really aligned with his overall message and just like aura as a person. Yeah. Well, that kind of like, it leads me nicely on to be like, wise do you personally think does this the best at the moment? <laughs> yeah. Um, But also it's very, like now that you've mentioned it, like I can't think of like when self-titled was released, I feel like it was a whole different maybe brand of people looking after that because it didn't seem like the same level as what we've got for Mm -hmm. like a fine line and everything now around that so it's interesting to see how that's now like switched as well obviously Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's whether or not they know now that they can invest more money into it to it to him that's true as a person that they can afford to do all the stuff like I personally think the whole Eroda thing it was like like when that all first started and the fact that fans were figuring out straight away on Twitter, like, what is happening? Like, mm-hmm. some, this has got to be something to do with this. That, for me, I feel like that's, like, one of the best ones that I've seen. But then, like like I always say on here, I am very much, I only really pay attention. Oh, I feel really bad. I don't really used to. I don't anymore. I pay attention to all different fandoms now. But before, I was just solely, like, cruising along in my Harry Styles lane, just noticing mm-hmm. what was going on in that fandom. Um but yeah, I've diverted off the question again, like always. But yeah, to you, is there any other artists that you think do this really well? I mean, I knew you were going to ask this question and I feel like I wish I had a better answer, but I I want to say that like, that the Harry, honestly, all of the fine line stuff, but I, but like mainly the whole Erota campaign was a prime example of this and, and involving fans in a way that is like so powerful because, you know, they laid the groundwork of stuff. Of course, they put like a lot of work into it, but once they laid the groundwork and had those Easter eggs out there, the fans like picked it up and did the work for them pretty much. Um, I actually did a whole podcast episode about this with my friend Brienne on her uh, making the brand podcast because I was just blown away um, by, by how unique it was, but more importantly, how it brought the fandom together and how the fandom like worked to kind of, like I said, do the work for them almost. Um, So I would also say I'm biased here. For sure. Like I'm not, I'm not super tuned into multiple fandoms. I have a few, but like, I, I'm sure there's other people doing amazing, cool things out there. I know that Taylor Swift does the Easter egg thing as well, but I'm not really, uh, I don't identify as a Swifty. Another person that when I was like doing some research that did like a similar thing and I didn't even realize, um, to like the Eroda thing was Halsey with apparently with Badlands. She had like a similar kind of style, like website. And apparently she had like a phone number as well. You could ring up every day and it would tell you what the weather was going to be like. At Badlands. So, fun. Um, so that was. See, I need something. to do some more. I need yeah. to research. Some I was more just out like there. having a little look around and seeing what was it. But it's um, it's be interesting to see whether or not if they all come under like this same kind of because it's very obviously a similar idea to like Erosia. If they all come under like the same label, like. 
that mm. thought like let's kind of do this but spin it a different way yeah, yeah. for it interesting because um, they knew that it worked for I don't know who did it first because I'm not kidded up when Halsey released her albums um if it worked for her let's churn it out again in a different right. way yeah interesting person. on the flip side of this who do you think needs to do more work on engaging their fans and utilizing them I, okay I don't know that I could like think of a specific example but I guess mm-hmm. just anybody who's kind of like doing it like the old school way like not doing this like direct to fans kind of approach where not utilizing the fans in any way. So you don't have to, I would say, go like as hardcore as, as the Erota campaign, although it was amazing. Um, There's other ways to kind of like make sure that your fans voices are being heard. Um, But just anybody who's, who's not engaging with them or not recognizing the power of them and just kind of sticking with just stick with our marketing team, which I'm sure I don't really know what what marketing teams look like in these labels anymore. I'm I'm hoping they're becoming more diverse. Um, but you know, I feel like you typically think, oh, like the corporate stuff is going to be a bunch yeah. of old white guys who don't listen to the music that they're trying to promote. So like, why are we not um, connecting with the actual fans and getting feedback from them? So I would just say anybody who's kind of just ignoring that right now. Um, you know, because it's just a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, like I also think, mate, there's a lot of um, like smaller artists that think that they can just kind of just make the music and release it, and it will happen. And then they moan right. that they're not getting the like charting positions and stuff like that. But it's because mm. if you don't know the person or they don't have an not an air of mystery around them, but that kind of je ne sais quoi, I'm gonna say, oh. That was quite Ooh. a French accent for me. Yes. <laughs> um, that they don't, yeah, they don't have that kind of aura about them. That I agree, though. Someone. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, like, newer artists, like, smaller indie artists who are maybe trying to grow, I think, need to really lean into connecting with those fans. And especially, like, it's going to be easier when you have fewer to start. You know what I mean? Like, there's opportunities there where you can connect one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually reminds me of this past year, I got really into Kelsey Carter. Um, and she has been really cool about just kind of like being really open about who she is. And and she's one of those artists where you do feel like, you know, her and you do feel like you're friends with her. And when I, um, like she'd actually, she'll actually like respond and react to things that you tag her in. And, um, when, I first started getting into her. She was doing a um, virtual concert. And so I bought a ticket for it, but you could upgrade to get like a a VIP ticket where you can do a, like a FaceTime call with her. And so I got to FaceTime with her and she was like super nice and sweet. And I left it feeling like, oh my God, we're best friends now, you know, like (laughs) obviously we're not. And obviously she's just doing her job, but it was like a really great example of making your fans feel connected using that like emotional connection that I talked about, because now I want to support her even more and I want to promote her even more. I'm still always sharing every time she has a new release because I'm like, this girl rocks. Like she needs to be more famous. And so it just kind of goes back to like, why not when you see that people want to support you, why not like give them that power, use it, leverage it and um, kind of work together. Like it's a really beautiful thing, I think. 
Yeah, well, she had a great like idea with the whole like because I only know the Harry Styles the Harry the Styles tattoo thing. because yeah. the amount yeah. of people that tagged me in it being like, "Are you sure this isn't you?" Yeah, and yeah. I was like, that was like clever, like on whether it was her or her manager that was mm-hmm. like, "Right, we're coming up and you're going to do this." Like, there's that, that was clever. whole like there's like a whole behind the scenes video about that like where she kind of like tells the whole story of how it went down and everything and yeah i love it i know she got a lot of hate from uh the from our fandom i i know when when it first happened but um but i think if you kind of watch the behind the scenes and know that it was just a really creative marketing tactic i think there's nothing wrong with it i think harry would have loved it um yeah but he's definitely he would have definitely have seen it as what has been kind of like the best kind of fan oh, I don't want to say fan push but like the f- the fans have come up with it and it's worked mm-hmm. in the artist's favor for it what would yeah. you say that you've seen that's been like yeah that's a great I mean again biased obvious answer I would definitely say the no control campaign just because yeah. It's mind blowing. Okay. And here's the thing. I'm actually a late bloomer in the One Direction fandom. Like I didn't get into One Direction until like after One Direction was a thing. Um, I went back and, and just like consumed everything. So I think I'm at the level where I can trick people into thinking that I've been around the whole time, (laughs) but I haven't been. So with that being said, I learned about the whole no control thing, um, after it had happened. And, um, I was just like, so fascinated and like really impressed by the power of specifically the One Direction fandom. Like it's amazing. Um, so I, I mean, that's another great example of, of just like the power of fans. And it was like, you know, getting, getting a song to chart, and get to number one is like a goal that any marketing team has for for anyone on their label, right? And this was yeah. completely achieved by fans alone. So that just goes to show you, like, if they can do that alone, like, what else? What else can they do when you like intentionally involve them? So I'm, um, you know, I keep coming back to the same point, but um, it's just like so important, and I feel like, I feel like it's just so obvious, and I, I, I don't. I don't know. I'm just, I'm very like blown away with what I've seen. Um, and I know, um, also like other, like, um, the BTS army and stuff has been really good at doing stuff like that. But again, I'm not as involved in that one to really know details of it, but it's just like the power of some of these fandoms is so mind blowing. And I'm just like, why would you not want to leverage that? I had like a little blip where I wasn't going on Twitter that much, but like, before like you'd notice like we're gonna have a stream party and then for this song and all of a sudden it'd be like this song's hit like 50 million Mm -hmm. billion streams on spotify and it's like that's because like these people are like we're gonna have a streaming party this is how you do it this is how it will happen we're gonna make it happen for them um, like yeah like getting um watermelon sugar to number one was like because of all these streaming parties and another example of that is like when there's kind of like these fandom battles almost like I remember um was it BTS or like somebody was yeah I think it was there was a BTS video that was like creeping up on like 
beating one direction to be like, you know, whatever video to that. Yeah. And it was just like, people are going crazy to be like stream, drag me down. Like, and, and, and like everybody's like putting together these rules because there's like certain ways that, you know, things count as views on YouTube and people, I was, I participated for a little bit and I would have like, (laughs) I had like three different screens with the video playing. Um, and so it's just really cool to me because those are all just literally because the fans just love them so much. And they're like, Hey, here's an opportunity for this band that we love to reach a cool milestone. Let's help them do that. Like there's literally no other incentive other than to just be excited for the band that you love. Like you're not getting paid for it. You're not getting recognition for it. You're literally just doing it because you so unapologetically love and support them. And so I think that's just really cool. Do you think that labels and PR companies are hesitant to use fans in a more professional setting? If so, why? Yes, I definitely do. And it's kind of goes back to some of the stuff we were talking about at the beginning. And that's just, again, like there's still a stigma. Like we've definitely, um, you know, like I think we've made a lot of progress, but I think labels especially are like a little scared of the fans because they've seen the extremes. Like they see what everyone thinks of when they think of the term fangirl and they're not seeing the professionals like people like us who are like really dedicated and creative and self-starters and have awesome ideas and are willing to put in time and effort to help like that kind of stuff. I think it's, it's just still, unfortunately, because there's a stigma and a stereotype in our society. And I don't think labels are necessarily like putting in effort to be like, wait, what, what are our fans really like, you know? So, um, I think it's kind of getting over that hump, but I will say it seems like there's been a lot of progress and I've seen like other companies and businesses arise that are helping connect fans to the artists and the labels in those kind of ways. So I think that's a great thing. And I think we'll probably hopefully keep growing in that direction. Um, because yeah, there's so many, I've, even just within like the last year of me trying to like kind of get more into this space and find more people like me, I have like connected with so many cool people through social media that are just like doing amazing things and are so smart and so creative and would be like amazing assets. Um, so it's, it's one of those, one of those things where it's like, you know, I think we need to maybe find a happy medium because, um, I know you had talked, you had mentioned, I think one of the things you're going to ask is about um, putting stuff like that on your resume. And it's like, yeah. you, you know, is that, is that accepted or should we refrain from it? Like, um, and so I'm hoping, and it seems like it's becoming more like acceptable now. Um, I think that, you know, it just, it's going to go back to like how you present yourself and stuff, of course, just like with any other job interview. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think the power of fangirls is like slowly starting to be seen more and more, but I think there's still a lot of, of work to be done there as well. When I was speaking to Lindsay about like what her like career path that she wants to take. And then she was saying that like her ideal, like dream job would be to work as for an artist as on their fan engagement and be like their fan engagement person. And I was like, what there's those kind of jobs so I was like yeah like, why have I not heard of this like yeah. why have I not heard of this like here's me working my boring corporate right <laughs> five job and I'm like wait hold on one second here's me thinking 
the only job that I would ever be able to do for because ideally the dream for me is to work in the music industry I've always said like it would be as a PA that's where my skills lie when she mentioned that those kind of jobs I was like whoa let me have a look and see however when I type it in don't really get that much in the UK like it's gonna happen but it seems very slow yeah exactly to people's ideas changing if I was at school now I'd be like yeah 100% that's what I want to do uh yeah yeah I actually um met a girl on Twitter who she's gonna she's gonna be on our live stream soon actually but she is getting her PhD in fan engagement studies isn't that crazy when I was at school, it was like, you can either do, go to uni and do like English, music. And there's me. I was like, no, I want to do dance. And even then that was like, mm, that's not really going to get right. you very far doing dance. Um, What do you think the future of fans is going to be with artist marketing plans? Like, do we think it's going to go like the TikTok kind of influencers route, hiring fans for design and merch? I would love that for Harry Styles because we won't talk about how bad his actual merch is. I guess I, I don't really consider myself someone who is good at like predicting the future of these sort of yeah. things, especially because it's so surprising and ever changing. But I will tell you what I would like to see. And mm-hmm. um, that's definitely a part of what you started to mention. Like, yeah, involved fans. I've seen so many like insanely good designers that will just like, create merch for fun um and oh and then obviously there's all the like fan made merch shops as well that actually exist but then i i see ones like on twitter and stuff that are just like digital mock-ups of of um you know different like record designs and and shirts and things like that and i'm always so impressed and yes like you said it's always better than the actual merch yeah (laughs) um yeah my my fellow Backstreet Boys fangirls and I talk about this all the time because we're not super jazzed with the merch that they have to offer either. And um, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I would just love to see more fans getting utilized um, in creative ways like that. And I think also future to like use them more like a like focus group and like sounding board in a way um, because you know, going back to what I said at the beginning about like fans being the reason for their success and wanting to keep those fans happy and satisfied and connected, like this would be a kind of relationship that is a win-win. It's mutually beneficial for both sides because, you know, the, at this point, then the label would have feedback directly from the people who are supporting the artist so like you know even if it's just like throwing some ideas out there and getting feedback or like asking hey do you guys have ideas for this sort of thing and like I don't know really what that looks like from a logistical standpoint but I definitely think that there's something there um rather than just keeping all of the decisions and creative ideas up to this little team that exists within the label that again I don't know I I think they're probably more diverse now but I I think there's probably they're probably like missing some representation in the actual team that is like making the decisions so yeah that's what I would Um, love to see we did kind of touch on this a little bit but did you or do you ever now speak about like being a fan and being part of a fan community um on your cv or in interviews so i've been at my current job for nearly three years now they they know that i'm doing a podcast they know that i do instagram 
they know that I'm a big fan of Harry Styles because every birthday or Christmas present has something Harry Styles has mm-hmm. bought for me or sent to me. <laughs> I'm always hesitant when they ask me, like, what do you like to do? And I was like, yeah, I really like music. I like going to gigs. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like toning it down because I think right. that's more professional than me being mm-hmm. like, yeah, so I'm a massive fangirl of, like, Harry Styles, One Direction, the 1975, being involved in part of that fandom, like, online you just feel like you get judged Mm -hmm. yeah um but do you are you a bit more receptive to talking about it now in your career um well here's the thing I haven't had to put together a resume for years and I don't think oh I'm hoping I won't have to if I if my business continues to be successful um but with that being said I mean yeah it's definitely something I never would have put on a resume I never did in the past um but now I mean yeah, at this point, I feel like, at least for me, trying to be this, like, you know, like I said, I'm going through self-discovery and I'm trying to be my true self. And so it it's a part of me. And so I feel like I mention it and I would hope that I'd be, you know, applying to a job where it's kind of going to be accepted. Because that's the one thing is like, okay, there's different industries. Some industries you do have to be more, quote, professional than others. Yeah. But yeah, I would, I would love to see a time where admitting that you're a fan of a band doesn't mean you're not professional, you know? Um, Because unfortunately, I do think in some spaces, if you said like, yeah, I'm a One Direction fangirl, they would hardcore judge you still and think that that means you're not professional or like that you're childish or something. So that's really frustrating. Um, But I do think that it's um, starting to get more relevant in our culture and especially in certain um, industries. And I think there's so much to be said about the fangirls. I mean, like you who run a podcast and a blog or like the ones who run Etsy shops or even just like fan Instagram accounts, like some of those accounts, uh, I'm blown away with like how much work they have to put in to just run like an update account. Um, and like running things like streaming parties and stuff like that. It's so impressive. And it shows like so many good skills that would be beneficial in multiple different types of job roles. So, um, I I hope that the people doing those things are starting to feel more confident about using it in resumes because I am just blown away by, by what it takes to do some of those things. So yeah, I would, I would say, you know, kind of, it's again, like in the middle for me, it's like, I think we're, we're getting better with it, but there's definitely still room to grow. But I, for me personally, yeah, I, w- I would totally put something like that on my resume now because I'm at the point where I'm like, if, if you don't accept that, then yeah, <laughs> bye. <laughs> We're going to move on to the fun. Well, all of it's been fun, but the more fun bit now of the whole conversation, a little bit of <laughs> quick fire, a little bit of decompress from heavy yes. chat um, and that. Um, who are we going to be doing your quick fire on? So I have chosen Pandisco. Um, I am, I'm actually a big, big fan of Panic at the Disco and more specifically Brendan Urie, since he's really the only original member still remaining. Favorite song. All right. I'm going to go with lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off. And that's really only because it's super nostalgic for me. It's like the first song that like made me fall in love. Like I remember I exactly where I was, exactly what I was doing. I think we were listening to it on LimeWire and, um, yeah, very nostalgic. So, yeah. um, so that's what I'm gonna go with. Okay, West song. 
I would say either The Overpass or Roaring Twenties, which are both from Pray for the Wicked, which is probably going to, um, it's kind of hinting to what, my, what oh, I might say I next. I already like that album. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll go with favorite album first. Yes. Favorite is A Fever You Can't Sweat Out. I think it's actually one of the best albums of all time. It's my one of my top 10 albums of all time. I love it so much. Um, And then worst album. I would say Pray for the Wicked, but I I saying that one is the worst because I I am a fangirl. I love Panic at the Disco. I love everything they do. I support everything they do. But if I had to pick one, it's that one for me. This is proper tangent tangenting off of that. What did you think of the Brendan Urie Taylor Swift me? Oh, I loved it. Um, yeah, I mean, and like I said, I'm, I'm not even like a huge Taylor Swift fan, but more so for me was the video because I'm obsessed with that aesthetic. Like it was so pretty and I love, I, like I said, I'm a crazy cat lady. So the whole kitten scene, I was like, literally, I think I posted something and I was like, oh my God, Taylor, like depicted my dreams in this video. Like these are what my dreams are made of. Brendan Yuri and like pastel aesthetic and kittens, please sign me up. <laughs> it's funny. Cause a lot of like Swifties, they, they like rate that as like one of her worst songs. Like that's funny, Lindsay. Yeah. She I mean, I get it compared to her other stuff. Like her other stuff is so like lyrically deep, and you know, comes from like her that that kind of like playing for a lot of pray for the wicked. It does feel like a more I don't know commercialized song. Yeah. Like it's just like like it was cranked out of a machine. But <laughs> I don't know. I like some of that stuff still anyway. So yes, yeah. I love um, the video. And then to round it off. Um, best music video of this. This one was really hard for me because they have so many creative music videos. Um, okay, I'm like down. I'm torn between two. I think I want to say Ballad of Mona Lisa because it's like a creative weird one. I think it was really representative of like the time and um, it's also nostalgic for me. I, I make a lot of choices based on nostalgia, but I want to give an honorable mention to Say Amen because it's so unexpected. Like the song you would think like, oh, it's probably just going to be like a fun party video but it's very gory and like over the top and weird and I was just like really into the unexpected storyline and how like they got like obnoxious gory with it and I'm into that (laughs) (laughs) give me some blood and some guts I'm there I'm gonna round this off nicely I always like to say to tie this whole thing in a nice little bow with the last kind of four questions that we've got um, one question that we got sitting in, and I thought it was kind of a nice one to bring this all to an end. Do you have any tips for anyone who uh, is wanting to get more involved in marketing from a fangirl perspective? Yes, I would say really active on social media, like in an intentional way. So, I mean, even for me, like I've just started kind of doing this. Like I said, like I've, you know, I'm not even, it's not like I have a career in like, this kind of like fan and marketing overlap, but I've been really immersing myself in it because I have found so many other awesome people online who are doing things in this field. And um, so, yeah, I would say Twitter is actually really good for it. Um, uh, My friend who I mentioned earlier, Brianne, introduced me to this whole world of marketing Twitter. And there's all these like really awesome people who work in marketing and um, there's a whole world out there for marketing Twitter. But then like, I think within that, there's a lot of people who are also really immersed in, in pop culture. Um, So I think that's a great way to do it. Um, Yeah. Just kind of finding what I would do is when I started kind of wanting to delve more into this, I would find 
you know, podcasts like yours and then go through and see who are, who were guests on the podcast and then like engage with them and like just trying to find other people that are, that are like either working in the areas I want to work in or talking about the things I want to talk about, or like we have a lot in common and I want to find out a way to collaborate with them, things like that. Um, I think it like social media can be really overwhelming, but it can also be like a really, really helpful tool. I asked this to Lindsay last week. What are you most excited about with the future of working with myself and Izzy and Lindsay on that fangirl life as a brand? So much. Um, I mean, for me, this kind of stuff, the biggest thing for me is just the community around it. So like, I think I'm just excited to, um, you know, keep meeting other people through this and like seeing it grow. I'm really excited to like see it come to life and, and see all of the like blog posts that people share and things like that. But, but also just starting to connect with some more of those people too, and like making new friends through it and learning from other people, learning about other fandoms through other people. Like I just, I think it's a really, a really cool community and I'm excited to see it grow more. And, and I feel so honored to get to be like a part of the the core team of that. So it's super exciting. I'm excited to see it all come together. The last two questions that I always ask everybody on this, but first of all, what has being a fangirl taught you? I would say it has taught me that I'm not alone in anything. That's it. <laughs> I was like waiting for more of a, I was like, I know I, I was almost, I was almost going to elaborate, but I'm like, no, like, like, that's it. Like I'm not alone in anything. There's, yeah. there's a, there's a fangirl out there who feels the same way I do. <laughs> And then the final thing, question, I always ask everyone this, and they always have a very similar answer, but what has being a fangirl brought to your life? Um, It's brought me friends all over the world, amazing opportunities, and a lot of happiness. Um, It's like, it's really freaking cool. And this is what I, here, I'll elaborate on this one. I tell people um, who like don't really understand being a fangirl because I've like talked to some people about it and I'm like, listen to how cool this is. So, I mean, right now I'm doing a project with these two girls in the UK, like that I've never met. That's pretty cool. I also for a while had a fan account where I was doing like, kind of like art, like the artsy edits. And through that, I did like digital art collaborations with people in like multiple other countries which I thought was so cool or like this one girl would would take my art and then paint it and it was just like this kind of stuff is amazing it's like I just love anything creative and I love people and communities and it's just like the perfect like overlap of that and so I just it's been really cool to me how I've I've made friends all over the world. I have my my best Harry friend lives in Argentina and we like watched the golden premiere together virtually for like different countries. I've never met her. Like it's just, it's so cool to me. Um, so I think that's that's really powerful. And and it's it's hard to to say that that you have friends all over the world that you've done cool things with uh, if you're not a fangirl. I think it's like a, a really special part of being in a fandom. Thanks so much to Kelsey for joining me this week. If you want to find out more about Kelsey and this week's episode, head to our Instagram page at that fangirl life podcast. And remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do give us a follow and leave a review. It really helps others find the show. And join me next week where we'll be talking fan fiction with Aubrey, or as some of you might know her as London Below. Bye.